Hello, and welcome to another episode of the OysterCast. My name is Ron Cowie, and today Alex and I are talking about the difference between good work and great work, and what the difference is between them, and what is that secret sauce that makes good work great work. It's not as simple as you might think. Give a listen. You have been listening. creative fam. Memorize the sh out of this. We are all chasing, uh, with a heart emoji, with sparkles. We are all chasing unicorns and cherries with a crying laughter emoji. And then there's a graph. And it says great work, very good work. And then there's craft and craft and luck with a little cherry on top. And it says once you accept this, your life actually becomes a lot easier. If you are a client, please remember, all you can ask from an artist is very good work. Great work is really not planable. So this was a tweet that I came across this past week. Are you familiar with Renee Robin? No. Okay. So I started following her a little while ago. She's really good friends with Chase Jarvis, which is how I came mm-hmm. to know her. She is a photographer who does a lot of more fantasy-driven Photoshop Mm -hmm. work. Uh, A lot of it is very surreal, very fantastical, and consistently puts out what I would consider is very good or great work. Sounds good. And she tweeted this graphic, and I thought it was really interesting to bring up because basically the graph is showing... We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's basically showing that the craft, like your craft will generally always yield very good work but it takes a little bit of luck to get great work and i just wanted to talk about that and see what your thoughts were and how true that may or may not be all right well unpack it for me what do you think great work for i mean i think it's ultimately it's right and usually i mean the best thing i ever heard was the the best picture you're ever going to take is going to be the easiest one you take or the one you don't think anything of. You know, it's never going to be, I'm going to go out and make the best picture ever today. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't, you know, and sometimes you know, like you've hit it, but in a lot of cases, it's just, no, I'm just going on, I have to do stuff and opportunity and your camera meet. Mm-hmm. So I think the key part of this, in parentheses, it says, if you're a client, please remember all you can ask from an artist is very good work. Great work is not planable. And I thought that was that part in particular, I think is, is interesting because you're right. You know, it's really hard to plan to create a best selling or million dollar idea or whatever. But I don't know, and I don't know if I, I don't think I have a better word for it, but I don't know if luck is the secret sauce there no because you can plan to put yourself in an environment that would foster general success right like if you let's say you have a really big project coming up and your craft your i guess standard operating procedure gets you to a certain point where it's like you can plan around conditions you can, you know, whether it's a studio environment or not, you know, you can plan all the different resources that you could possibly have to create this 
image or whatever. So you can plan everything. You can have all these contingency plans in place to put you in the place to get that thing. You might not be able to plan the exact everything, you know, the exact way light is going to hit everything, but you kind of can in some cases. Like, it, and I guess if you throw enough money at a problem, you can. Yeah. The, you know, counterpoint, I, I think about the movie Citizen Kane that was shot on a shoestring and kind of very subversive. And, you know, there's a movie on Netflix now called Mank about the guy who wrote it. And he said it was, he knew it was his best work. And Orson Welles had total creative control. And, you know, but there wasn't a ton of money. I mean, there was some, obviously. But they had to work around stuff. And I also think about that movie that I just saw with Willem Dafoe, Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, or whatever. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. But his whole thing with the, He's showing his paintings and people are like, these are awful. These are really not good paintings. And there's this wonderful scene where he's talking to a priest in an asylum and he's like, I don't want to hurt you. I, I want to be gentle. But these, are, I think it's like, these are troubling. <laughs> and something that he said, which I think is very accurate, is he said, well, I might be making paintings for people who aren't alive yet. Right. And that, and he he was, because a, there are a lot of people who make art in their times that is not appreciated or known until later, and they're, you know, they, they're some of the the masters of the canon, and the you know I, I think about how some creative things that are really really amazing. People don't people don't appreciate it when it's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So every once in a while, you're going to get something that is absolutely like everyone knows what we've just made is this is gigantic. It's huge. Mm -hmm. This is kind of where I go with it. I, I just think that the people kind of follow their heart, kind of just they're restless. They're being creative. They're just showing up every day. And they're telling people what they're doing as best they can. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's something to it. And I, I want to tell a story actually, because there there when I was teaching up at Nisop in Kenmore Square, there was this student from Pakistan, and he just was having trouble. That like the I was a teacher's assistant. And Pam Edwards, who was the color teacher, was like, Ron, can you just kind of tutor him a little bit and just kind of, you know, walk him through some steps? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was looking at his stuff and the guy couldn't do anything. I mean, his, his the work that he was presenting in class was so clunky. It just technically and mechanically super flawed. I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. And he says, well, can I show you some work that I did when I was in Pakistan? I was like, yeah, sure. What do you got? And it was unbelievable. Like, it was like these portraits and this sense of light. And it was like another photographer. Now, now that I think about it, maybe he just took other people's photos, but I don't think so. Like, 
he had this whole like report that he did. I just want to show you because he was like, I just want to show you this work that I did back home. You know, he was really struggling with the mechanics of it. Like he couldn't kind of get his head around it. But you put a camera in, he was a natural. He's unbelievable. I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, and I was like, dude, you're a portrait photographer. You have an ability to evoke timeless portraits. It, it really unbelievable. You know, and he just took off from there. Now, I'm not taking credit for his taking off. All I did was I saw it. It's like the sky is blue. This guy's a great photographer. And he just needed, he was struggling with this one thing. And then he just, he lit up. And so I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it's just an interesting story. Like every once in a while you discover or you get to see magic. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one hot topic, and we've talked about this a couple times in past episodes, but people. Yeah. So to recap, you know, he's a visual effects artist who, artist who has been, I think he's what, 3000 or 4,000 days, consecutive mm -hmm. days in a row creating art and publishing it. And if you, if you go back and look at his stuff, you know, in the beginning it was just sketches for the sake of sketches and lately, you know, now he, he just sold a collection of pieces through NFTs. I think it was for like $60 million or something like uh, that. It was $38 million. $38 million? It was, it was a lot. Yeah. And so you can't necessarily... So in one argument, you can't plan to do that. Like you can't no. say, you know, 10 years earlier, I'm going to go ahead and make art every day so that I can make $38 million 10 years from now. No. So, yeah, that, that flies in the face of the creative process. Exactly. And his whole thing was just, I'm going to do it every day. It's a habit. And when you, when you watch or listen to some interviews with him, like he definitely talks about how it sucked a lot of days, but then it just became his process. And that's just what he did. Mm -hmm. And then he became known for it. And, and maybe there was some luck along the way, but and maybe the the real discussion here is but is a def, a definition of luck and the concept of making your own luck. Yeah. And and maybe that's what this is really about. It's just putting yourself into a into a situation that would yield success. And maybe there are some variables you can't predict along the way. What's luck? I think that's ultimately the question and that that, that can be the topic because it is assumed that if you are being hired or if you, it is assumed that you know how to use a camera. It is assumed you know how to use the software or whatever. These are things that are assumed. Like if you go to a restaurant, I am assuming that the people in the back in the kitchen know how to prepare the food that I'm ordering. I don't need to see their, their credentials or whatever. I just, I assume that if I, if, if it's on the menu, you know how to make it. Yeah. And so if I'm, a, if I'm hiring you to do a, a headshot or a portrait, like I, I'm assuming that you know how to use your camera. I might not know any better, but, but I'm making an assumption. I'm believing in you. You know, that's what the hiring process is. I believe that you can do what I want. 
if I don't like the meal, if I don't like the portrait, well, then that's another conversation. Shame on me. But what is luck? You know, if, you know, in this meme or whatever, it's a like craft is equal. You know, the so the only difference between very good work and great work is luck. Yeah. And, and I think that luck is one of those things that you get to show up for. Showing up for the work and being present and getting your ego out of the way is really, that's kind of, for me, that's what makes luck. You know, it's like Beeple, he got really lucky. And the reason why he got really lucky is because he showed up every day and he wasn't having this gigantic plan of, I'm going to cash in on this on the, you know, 3700th day. All of a sudden, you know, he was just showing up doing this work and in this other world, someone's coming up with the idea of NFTs. What is it? Non-fungible tokens. Tokens. Which the art world is jumping all over because it's, oh, here's a new way to kind of, it's a new income stream. So he's he's got his pile of money and I hope he holds on to it. I mean, he can go through all that. I, I think he'll probably do okay. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. Yeah, but it, it's, Still. it is, I mean, so anyways, you know, but he just, if he made a drawing once a week, maybe not so much, but mm-hmm. what they're buying. So the luck. It's a little bit of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, it, that that's luck too. And knowing what the right place is and right. also being aware of the right time at times. I don't think that there are, I mean, you always hear about like, musical performances or whatever you know concerts that are just you know transcendent mm-hmm. ask a deadhead what the best show was you know and you'll get hundreds of opinions mm-hmm. but usually barton hall cornell university is in the top 10 trust me and, and it's like okay so you're saying that luck has a lot to do with the parties involved perception of the product i think a little bit yeah but so the- like saying something like so if i went to a concert that happened to check a lot of boxes for me personally mm-hmm. and therefore was one of the best concerts i could ever imagine i got lucky yeah but for someone who might have seen a better show a week before mm-hmm. And this one wasn't as good. They're like, yeah, it's fine. You have to have some objectivity, I think. I mean, think about it. It's like, I'm sure there were people at the Cornell concert, Barton Hall, who were like, yeah, it was okay. I didn't really like it. I don't like the Grateful Dead. I'm sure mm-hmm. that there were people who who like went to that concert because their friend was like, oh, the Grateful Dead are playing. You got to come. It's like, no, okay, fine. And they were like, yeah, no, not, not so much. You know, it's lost on them. Right. But I think that there is some criteria between good like you can it's like pornography what the judge said you know i don't i'm not going to define it but i know it when i see it yeah you know when he's talking about obscenity and great work is something the best definition of great work that i can think of is something that when you look at it every time you look at it it brings something new or it doesn't get old Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what—that's the difference between very good work and great work. I can't argue with that logic. Well, how about this? Like, let's say, 
let's put it in the perspective of the person who posted this. And now mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to make a link. I'm going to make a lot of assumptions about Renee Robin here, just mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. None of it is necessarily founded on much, but we know that she is a commercial photographer and Photoshop alchemist. So, oh, she's Canadian. I didn't realize that. Does a lot of work. Like I said, very fantastical, very dreamy, very just surreal work. And when you're doing, I think, that kind of art where it's a lot more, you know, it's not necessarily based in reality. So is that, and I would assume that that is, we don't even know if this graphic, if she made this or this came from somewhere else, but if that is the luck that's being talked about. It's that idea of just light bulb moment and pursuing it. Or it's, you know, the sun lined up in a certain way and the clouds just popped right at the perfect time. And, you know, that was lucky. Mm -hmm. Or it didn't rain on the shoot day. That's lucky. Or whatever. I don't know. Tell you another story about Ansel Adams and Moonrise over Hernandez. Okay. Ansel Adams, Moonrise Over Hernandez photograph. There's a great story behind this where he's driving along. He looks out his car window and goes, holy shit. (laughs) And like sunset, moon's rising. He gets up on top of his car, makes a few exposures. And that's that. Like, boom. And it's one of his most famous photographs ever. And for a lot of um, very good reasons. You know, the, it's a truly amazing photograph and landscape. He got lucky. It's a great photo. He got lucky because he was going along and he saw the photo. He saw the possibility. He stopped the car and he made the exposure. And, you know, he's a big proponent or was a big proponent of pre-visualization you know kind of see okay i know where i want all these things to go and what's neat is to be able to see all the different types of prints that that negative has produced but that's great work his craft was completely solid but i think luck is when you can see opportunity for what it is and another way to uh, kind of a working working definition would be showing up and not and not wondering is this a really important picture just take the picture mm-hmm. like the, i think there's something to be said you, you'll find yourself a lot luckier with volume right you know and, and we were talking about our own business earlier it's like well what do we want to do what you know life is difficult and and it's ultimately do what you love to do like do what you would be doing anyways and you'll you'll find that you'll be making a lot more interesting things. The path will open up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget what where I heard this. I heard it recently. And it was basically a school, you know, I don't think it's true, but a school had a couple of photography students and they had half the class focus on making just one great image for the entire semester and the other half of the class making the largest collection of images they could. Mm-hmm. And who was a better photographer at the end of it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can't imagine a school actually doing that because that's kind of detrimental to the kids. I, I don't think have. it was 
photography. I think it was like pottery or something. Like one one team was supposed to make as many as possible, and the other one was supposed to make as good as they possibly could. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect ex- you know, yeah, parallel. Yeah, where it's you know just, and I've been doing this a lot too. Like when I go out on climbing trips, you know, I bring I bring a camera sometimes too if I'm feeling silly, and I just shoot everything. And that's much different from when I used to go out and I would just focus on creating, you know, a couple different compositions. I'd like go set up fixed lines and I would, you know, hang off the side of a climb while someone else was climbing in. I would like put all this effort into getting like one or two pictures and sometimes they were okay. Sometimes I would end up going on this full day trip and not walk away with anything I liked because I didn't even climb anything. I was just on the wall the whole time taking bad pictures and you know sometimes that was because i was in the wrong spot and i just didn't know the area or maybe those focusing on a route that turns out nobody could climb or whatever it was but i would get this tunnel vision Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day like i wouldn't necessarily have the best time because i wasn't actually climbing and i was just hanging off a wall for an hour and a half or two hours not really getting anything that was worth the effort I don't necessarily regret it it was you know it's what it is but now you know I I bring a fraction of the gear mm-hmm. I you know I have no qualms about taking pictures with my phone which granted is much better than it was back then and just like having a good time and just shooting a lot and like I used to always ha- I used to have this thing too where I was too proud to use motor drive mm-hmm. and I, I saw it as a weakness mm. to just hold down the shutter. Anytime I would hear it, maybe not at sports because sports is different, but every time and even weddings, you can make an argument, but anytime I would hear a photographer, just hold it down mm-hmm. and rattle off 12 frames mm-hmm. or whatever for something that didn't even seem that important mm-hmm. i i couldn't help but judge a little sure and because of that i would i would limit to myself i would never put uh i would always put my cameras on single shot mm-hmm. and partially because i didn't want to go through all the editing process but partially yeah. just because like no i can get it in one frame yeah and guess what you can't i didn't no so you know, there's a lot of shots where you know you get half a blink or yeah. you, know, you just you wish you were half a second later or whatever yeah and yeah it's a little bit more editing but like shooting more in that case that volume you get better stuff and yeah and you're not as crotchety about it yeah no i i think you and that that's luck yeah and it's i think the difference is is that like if you're walking around with a motor drive you know i mean that the phrase a blind chicken always gets something to eat, you know, that counts. But you know, if it's your job, if you're doing an event or if you're doing a sports thing, like they didn't make up motor drives to make it harder for people to do their job. Like it it was designed for people to, whose livelihoods were based on, I need to get the shot. Yeah. And that shot is a fraction of a second, you know, that, that amazing shot is a fraction of a second. There is a myth with artists 
and in a lot of things where it's just like a matter of just showing up and creating and the perfection you know mm -hmm. it's the perfection in the execution and you don't see all the practice right you know and you don't see all the work that went into it and all the thinking that goes into stuff and i think that's something that really needs to kind of be dispelled and there's another side that i i take a lot of exception to in some ways is that like the idea of actually just like practicing has been put down because we have so much software that yep. you can take a, a rank amateur or just someone who doesn't know anything and they can get a pretty decent photo. You know, you watch enough YouTube videos and you do a couple things on Instagram. And if you're just prolific, you know, sooner or later, you know, you'll, you'll get somewhere. If you're just, if you're just showing up doing something, you know, and that I think also is, with business or whatever, I remember I was, we're now talking about egos and fragile egos and damaged egos. I remember I was really kind of jealous of a classmate of mine, or actually it wasn't a classmate. I, I had graduated and I was assisting and I was working for photographers and I hadn't really submitted a whole lot of stuff to magazines or whatever, because I believed in the process, you know, and really I was just kind of afraid of rejection. And so this student who was in a class below me was getting work in Boston Magazine. And at first it was like, that ambitious, blah, blah, so-and-so. And then there was this moment of clarity I had where it was like, well, it's better than my picture in Boston Magazine. And mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you have a picture in Boston Magazine? It was like, no, I don't. You know, <laughs> like... They got up and they showed their work and they got an assignment and they did it and it got published. Mm -hmm. There you go. I was just listening to a podcast today. And I don't know if I've sent you any of these yet, but I will. There's a podcast called The Enorma Cat. Enorma mm -hmm. Cast. Enormo Cast? Climbing podcast. Mm -hmm. One of the bigger ones, if not the biggest one out there. And it's just this one guy who, who hosted and he interviews climbers from around the country. Maybe world, but definitely... Yeah, yeah, world, because he did mm -hmm. a couple of UK climbers, and he did one today, or not today, I listened to today, about a photographer, I think it was Drew Smith, who was a climber, and, you know, he was working on, he was carpentry jobs, you know, he was doing just, like, manual labor stuff, living out of his van, living mm -hmm. in hotels, and he was a photographer, you know, he, he got a, his, his, he might have had a degree in photography, I might have been a different guy. His brother had a photojournalism degree and it was was a photographer for newspapers. So he gave him his old camera and he would go on climbing trips and he would take pictures and and he commented at one point how and he had all these his photos on his hard drive and just wasn't getting any jobs. It's like mm -hmm. no one's going to find all the stuff that's stored yeah. on your computer that's not published anywhere. And he had a girlfriend, I think X when they recorded it, but that he taught photography to and she got really into it and was getting published. And he was like, well, hey, I've mm -hmm. been doing this for a lot longer and now she's getting all the credit. Yeah. And kind of took it upon himself to like, you know, I could actually like pursue stuff. And mm -hmm. so he ended up in the same town as Patagonia and um, the company, not the place. And, you know, eventually reached out and just said, you know, how do I submit? work and, yeah. and kind of took it from there and now he's 
he, he works with Patagonia. He works with the North Face, mm-hmm. etc. And it was just it, I I related so much to that part of well, I've taken all these great pictures. Why is no one hiring me? Yeah. It's like, well, because they're sitting on this box right here, and yeah. no one knows. Yeah. The best advice I ever got was by Bill, the photographer Bill Gallery. And all I said was, take pictures you like and show them to people. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'll do that. And I can't say that I've done it so much, but I, I've also found myself like, I have a hard time liking my pictures. <laughs> you know, like I just kind of do it. And like, well, that's interesting. And it's kind of like this ADD thing. And I was like, well, that was interesting. I got my dopamine. Yep. And now I'm on to something else. And so like all these photos are just like these contrails in my life of just, you know, yeah, I have a mountain of stuff and whatever. And it actually takes some time to kind of go back and look at things and be like, well, no, that actually was good work. And stop beating myself up for like looking back at stuff. And well, and and then you might have you might just have or me too. Your standards are just way higher than they need to be, like un- unrealistic. Oh, they're completely unrealistic. So, and like I've been doing that a lot recently. Is just you know kind of for my own, I guess, mental health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is you know when I go out climbing with people, you know, I'm taking pictures. You know, even if I don't post them all. I will send the whole select the whole collection to Facebook group with everybody in it and just say like, Hey, here you go. Like even like, I don't care if they go public, Yeah. but I want to share what I did today. Yeah. And and a lot lot of people are excited to see them. Like there was two guys that we ran into climbing over Lincoln woods who I'd never met before. And I got a couple of frames of each of them Mm -hmm. and which I, I I had to like I'm not just a creep taking pictures like you mm-hmm. know handshake and I send them on Instagram I was like hey here you go like you know I I didn't end up posting these but do with them what you will yeah like I'm not gonna send you the whole contract of yeah if you use them please credit me blah 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 like yeah. I don't like that's not important at yeah. the end of the day this person's not gonna go ahead and sell this to you know. Scarpa or La Sportiva or whatever mm-hmm. brand and make a ton of money. It's just community. Yeah. It's just being, yeah, actually, yeah, just being part of the community and saying, like, look, I took these. Yep. It's got your face on it. Do with it whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. Frame it and give it to your mom, like, we, whatever. There's been so much commercialization of what used to just be a hobby. And I, I saw a tweet about this, and I, I I can't agree more. You can't have a hobby. Everything's a side hustle. Everything's a grind. Everything's this kind of, like, you always have to have this business angle to just things you love to do. It's just, yeah, we're just, like, when I was a kid, we just made videos. We just yeah. goofed off. We, we made, like, secret agent movies and driving tip movies, and we were just playing. And it wasn't this, like... Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go off and be a movie director. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a video business. It's like, no, you know, it's just, we're having fun. We are goofing off with a camera. We are playing with technology. I think there's a lot of that still going on. And it's, it's great to see like genuine fun. 
you know, where there isn't this, hey, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and, you know, be sure to smash that like button, you know, and right. so on and so on. And these, like, these people who are, like, building these followings on, like, Vine and, and then YouTubers and TikTok videos. I mean, everything is just like, golly, can you just have fun? You know, does it always have to have this angle? Like, how many followers can you get? It's exhausting, Right. And and I think actually that's one of the reasons why there really isn't a whole lot of great work out there because there's so much like thinking around it. No one's having any fun. And the people who are genuinely having fun, they it's kind of a so what. Look at like the Valley Uprising. Yeah. Like they were just there having a good time and it became, you know, friendly competitions, yep. smoking a lot of weed. Yeah. And, you know, doing drugs on the wall and having a good time. And suddenly we have this whole climbing culture. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time where that climbing culture really started to eat itself. You know, and now we have, I mean, we're, we're going to start making climbing videos, which is really exciting. And we were talking about that. It's like, well, what do we do? And everything was so businessy and it's just boring as hell. But, as soon as I said, well, let's make a climbing movie or let's make some climbing videos. You know, Meg, our producer for locations, was like, that's always been a dream of yours. Yeah. Nailed it. Like, duh. It's usually the simple thing that's right. Like the thing that's sitting, staring you in the face, that's going to give you the most joy. And that's where all your luck is. And you're trying to make something happen. It's like a bad relationship. Like you can't make a bad relationship work. If you're not into it. So, you know, I, I think that, and so now going forward, it's like we have craft, we can do great corporate work and we do do great corporate work. You know, people should hire us. But I think the amazing work that's, that hasn't been made yet is going to be stuff that you love to do. And the stories that we can tell with people who are passionate about things you're passionate about. Like you can, you can connect with that. People mm-hmm. can connect with that. We're going to make videos that you and I want to watch. That is the secret sauce. That's the, that's the extra 10%. You know, the last 20 yards or whatever. It's Which isn't to say that you can't make amazing work, objectively amazing work, on stuff that you're not necessarily passionate about. I mean, there are wonderful examples in all fields of People, they got hired to do something, and it was just their job. This is what they did. And they just knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. You know? But usually, you know, your your luck is going to be found where your heart is a little bit. Right. You know, and that's that's the thing. And, you, and you, you're right. You can't plan love. You can't plan passion. Passion is one of those things. And I think that word gets kicked around a lot you know passion oh i'm passionate about that you're not passionate passionate is something that you don't really get to control you really like something mm-hmm. you know and you can't stop thinking about it and it's a lot of fun and i think you know telling stories about people who are outdoors climbing walls it's fascinating you know the story of gravity the tricks of stone i don't know what you know and you'll you'll find that like even and you can talk yourself right out of it and say, well, there are a lot of climbing videos, and what do I have to say? And you got then all of a sudden you start going up your butt, trying to figure out like how am I going to tell it differently? It's like, well, how about you just show up and turn on your camera with the people who are in front of you climbing a wall, and ask them why they're doing it, 
and they'll tell you. And then you show that to people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and then do it again mm-hmm. and again. And each time you do it, we get better ideas and we get a better sense of like, well, why are we doing this? You know, why are we telling this? Why is this important to us? It's because, you know what? Like we, we're storytellers. We're people who really love to, I, I really get a lot of excitement off of other people's excitement. Like I love seeing that. That's something that really interests me. Mm-hmm. Why do people do strange things? You know, and it's how also how I learn, like, Aside from having to do a lot of pull-ups with your fingertips and all that stuff, like, why would you want to climb? Like, what's the deal? Like, how do you climb? How do you move your body in such a way to go up this wall? It's interesting. And so that that's where the luck is. That's where the great work is. You know, and and that that's it. And what happens, and I think here's the thing. This is where we're getting back into full circle. And this, I think, is kind of the meme where the explanation of the meme is like people will see the climbing videos and the stuff that's great work. That's wow. This is your portfolio. When you're putting together a portfolio and you show it to people, what you're saying is this is my best work. This is the work that best represents my thinking and where my vision goes. And they say, well, okay, great. And they hire you to do something and it might not be portfolio work. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a story of a bank, right? You know, that's it's good work. It's very good work, but it's not knock it out of the park. And now, to be fair, it might for the banker or for the client, they may be like, "Wow, this is great," you know, awesome, you know. But it their idea of great work and your idea of it's just a job, two right. different things. So it's relative, but I think that's kind of where it lands for me. It's like great work, magic. It, it always shows up where there's where your heart is and and when you're least expecting it. I mean, that's what that's what's so amazing. I mean, when you when you fall in love, it's not like you can't you can't plan that. No, you can't plan it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can foster that environment for yeah. it to happen but totally. you can't force it well you get lucky i mean you show up i think luck presents itself when the ego kind of steps aside you know when you've done all the work and you're showing up and you're able to see that you you are not distracted by anything internal but you can just kind of be where you are, be present in the moment, and you just see it. And you might not even be aware that that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it can it, luck is sometimes experienced in hindsight. Yeah, <laughs> often, you know, it's it's experience. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of times where you know you'd be taking pictures and then not realize that you got a good one. Yeah, until later. Yeah, or whether that's later when you're looking at it on the computer or he 10 years later like the picture on the wall behind you you know i took that i got out of the car mm-hmm. and i grabbed it and it's not at the time i was like oh it's fine and i've re-edited it a few times sure and i, I just i mean i i didn't realize i liked it enough to print it yeah. until four years later 
Yeah. Well, and there you go. I got to fix the frame though. It's falling down, but whatever. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's, I always tell people it should be fun. You know, like if it's, if it just kind of feels like, I don't want to be here. I mean, you can still make great work in those environments, but it doesn't happen nearly as much. You know, it usually happens when you do want to be there or you're just there and you're not competing with the moment and you just, you bring your craft and that craft and opportunity mix or meet. And there it is. I think about, you know, back to climbing, I think about that, the movie Free Solo. Yep. Where, I mean, he had been climbing up and down, climbing up and down and practicing and kind of charting things and so on and so forth. And then one morning he was like, I'm just going to go do it. And he just, he just kind of, he did it. He climbed Half Dome with no rope all the way up. Well, and from a production standpoint, they planned... If you ever listened to an interview with Jimmy Chin about it, you know, he talks about how they had to, they planned everything. You know, they had to plan all the camera angles. They mm-hmm. had to plan all the shots. They had to plan, they even had to plan the two different letters at the end of the project. Yeah. You know, whether he made it or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of that has to be planned. But at the end of the day, you know, even just the weather is could be luck oh so yeah you can plan to put yourself into a situation when luck is the only variable mm-hmm. and then at that point you're just but that i mean he had been trying several times if my memory serves he just like got up and did it one day i'm just gonna go do it i think i think i'll do it today and that was it you know and he you know Highly, highly skilled, probably one of the best climbers in the world. So a tremendous craft. The fact that he did it without gear mm-hmm. is a feat. The fact that he like it is very difficult climbing with gear. Yeah. Like each pitch is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone linking however many. Yeah. It's like people that is a that is a wall that people take days to do. Yeah, and a lot of people have died trying. Sure. And I don't remember which route it was, but I just know that uh, even with gear and lots of practice, I wouldn't be able to do it without falling. No. So. No, it's great. I mean, and, and so it's, but he just showed up. He did the work. He had it all mapped out and luck was there. And greatness. And I guess this goes back to Beeple. You can't draw a straight line. From there's El Cap, by the way, that he oh he, El Cap. Well, we'll edit that. That's fine. Beeple could not have drawn a straight line from day one of his project to when he sold it, right? You know, and you couldn't have drawn a. I couldn't have drawn a straight line from the uh, spy movies I made when I was twelve and thirteen before my voice changed, and to where we are now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different variables, and you know, my biggest obstacle has always been living between my ears it's never never been external stuff oh yeah it's a tough one a lot of people i i am my own worst enemy you know and it's because i i'll overthink things i'll think myself right out of an experience and be standing there scratching my head wondering why i'm not happy (laughs) why it's not happening either it's like well fool 
because you're standing in your own way. Right. Yeah. So, anyways. I think we answered the question. I think we did. Or at least... In a roundabout way. We may have... We have hold, started more questions. We have held people hostage, and that's what counts. All right. On another note, my iPad All right. just died. It's it's fate. All right. Ed's amiable enemies annual anemones amenities, amenable edible nanny amnesty. Oh, that's just great. All right. Can we stop now? I want to heal. Yes, we can. Oh, goody. All right. Hit stop. You have been listening to the OysterCast, and thank you for tuning in. And please like and subscribe or share with your friends. And if you want to get in touch, uh, go to our website, theoysterfarm.com, and click on the podcast part. And there's a great place where you can get in touch with us. We're looking to talk with people who are making their living in the creative fields, technology, just interesting people in general. We're not that picky. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.